going to be Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull, great topic. Jethro oh, Tull, one of Lots the... Lots of love for that band. One of the greatest classic rock bands out of England from the late 60s to move out of a, kind of a blues period into a more creative rock period. Mm -hmm. They often yeah, get logged into progressive, progressive mm -hmm. rock or um, sometimes people saddle them up with the blues or... Um, Blues rock yeah, at I times. Think that there's a bit of everything. It's just music, and then there's a folk, you know. And then folk that kind is of, big, in, right? Yeah, and, and and I think they went through all of these phases, I guess. But if you want to label them somehow, but it's it's just music. I think right. what really made it great is like Ian Anderson's focus and determination to uh, yeah kind of uh, express his own musical ideas with a group of guys that that were there at the moment because there were so many lineups that so many lineups went, went through ian anderson being the central lyrical singer flute player uh pied piper if you will that led the band through all these lineups Regardless, everyone looks at Ian Anderson when you're a kid and you go, oh, his name is Jethro Tull. But it's, <laughs> yeah. but it's not. Yeah, it's um, a, I think, oh, there's a good story. I think I, I saw some, I saw his interview on some of the like major American talk shows. I forgot which one it was. And I think you shared with me that one. Yeah, you, you what, shared with me recently about the name of the band. It was great. It's yeah, such, he, a, such a funny story. He kept getting booked on the, uh, yeah, the band, they, Jethro, yeah, Jethro Tull. No, they kept booking uh, the same venue, but because uh, I guess they weren't good enough, the, the owner wouldn't invite them again. And uh, because he booked his shows over the phone, each time he would... I mean, because they wouldn't bring enough people, I guess. And... Uh, each time they would book it, they would book it under a different name. So they would appear, you know, do their thing, and uh, you know, if they had good response, they would invite them again. If not, they, you know, they never appeared under that name again. And the first time they got invited again, it was under name Jethro Toe at right. that point, which was like randomly picked uh, the name of uh, the person who invented uh, something, uh, some kind of plow or something. Something he made some kind of seed machine in England, mm -hmm. and um, they just say, "Hey, you know what? You this, you're right. You know, you got your right heap. 
You got you got Jethro Tull. There's people in in, yeah, in Jethro Tull was right. uh, in one thing, and then then they started going. It's Jethro Tull, and that that stuck, and they're still Jethro Tull. I, I don't think there were any no other names other than occasional solo projects. Right, and then oh, years later, Ian Anderson's like, oh, I'm really sorry that we took the guy's name, and yeah. you know what? You know what cures that mm-hmm. though? You do about two Ian Anderson solo albums in the 2000s, and you're like, you know what? I think I like Jethro Tull. No <laughs> different, and I'm being fair. No different than, uh, you know, Pink Floyd went through this in the early 80s. David Gilmore was like, all right, I had enough of this. I'm calling my album About Face, you know, his, his mm-hmm. second solo album. Yeah, when he saw the stadiums, the non-stadiums he was filling as a solo act, he's like, you know what, I think I like Pink Floyd. I think I'm going to go fight for the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what's in a name? Everything. And, yeah, and Jethro... It's a brand, and uh, you know, I think many people just get into it because... Uh, of recognizing the name and recognize it what uh, it meant maybe to their older siblings and uh, <laughs> they right. go to see the shows. Now for people listening to go, uh, duh, I don't know who Jethro Tull is or something like that, there's only so many identifiable riffs in uh, music that we talk about. And Aqualung, we go, Oh, yes. And then on the same album, we have Locomotive Breath, right. which is another, yeah, two amazing riffs by, the, by not specifically... Uh, a riff band, you know. Not I mean, a riff they, band. They, they, they did have some great riffs in the, you know, here and there, but but most of the tracks weren't riff oriented. No, Martin Barr is remembered for you know playing that guitar in Aqualung. Mm-hmm. He's a great guitar player. Um, so the Aqualung album, big one to talk about. Mm-hmm. Everyone should like have yeah. it, listen to it. But but but, but maybe cover the beginning before. So they had this guitarist Mick Abrahams, and That's then they were Mick doing Abrams, right? Abrams, uh, right? Abrahams. And then they right. did uh, they did one kind of bluesy album, right? And uh, this was... and then he uh, yeah he left the band quickly, and uh, he had the solo album, and then had the project called Bloodwind Pig, and, right? And right. these albums are uh, actually very very valued on a record market. You know they're they're good albums, but they're very kind of for niche audience, like kind of like British bluesy experimental like little offbeat stuff. And uh, and then after he left, actually Tony Iommi was there really right. briefly. He was right. there for Rock and Roll Circus, the Rolling Stones uh, movie, mm-hmm. uh, and they performed only one song. And uh, I read in Tony Iommi's book about his experience of uh, that. Like I think it was only very brief two, two, two day affair or something like that. And he said, uh, and I think it, it kind of defines the rest of the story about the band. Uh, about Jethro Tull, it was really Ian Anderson's project. You know, it was completely 100%. Mm-hmm. And the guys that uh, played in Jethro Tull were treated as, uh, you know, as a workers, kind of like he sat at his table and on, you know, on one end and the rest of the band sat on the other side. So right. when the performance time came, you know, everybody had to do their thing and then they all said goodbye, you know, so he... He continued uh, with his project throughout the career, I think, until now, you know, it's, it's still, it never changed that way. But I think uh, what really gave uh, Jethro Tull that uniqueness were all of these members, you know, mm-hmm. he had his stories, his uh, different, uh, you know, lineups and different kind of uh, styles that he was exploring. But what really made it unique are those great musicians and the great chemistry totally and, did you and, know martin barr's middle name was lancelot oh yes yeah, I, I know because when he uh, when he gets uh 
uh, announced at their uh, bursting out live album. That's how he gets announced as well. <laughs> Something my brother noticed on the vinyl when it came out, they forgot the R on the side spine and it said busting out. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I think that's the same copies. That, that's it, definitely... It's the same uh, on the license. That oh, needs to be noted. But, but maybe maybe it was uh, purpose because they always went with their kind of bizarre sense of humor. Great Sometimes fallback. Great, you should yeah. have done PR yeah. for the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think, I mean, the... I think they were big fans of Monty Python as well, so it kind of... They uh, were. It made makes sense. Like, that uh, Thick as a Brick, uh, they actually designed the entire newspaper on the original. Right. I actually have a few copies of that record because I always, wow. whenever I see it, I love buying it. <laughs> Albums you so. should hear before you die, right? That category that people yeah. put out there, Thick as a Brick is right on there. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe that would be my I've, I've turned on a lot of people it, to it as it was turned on to me. It's like something you just spread them on and then people dig it. People that don't dig it, you kind of, you think less of them afterwards, mm. but you know, you, yeah. you try to love them anyway. But I mean, it's a brilliant, I, that's what I mean. They're a, a band that can make a concept album, which should be progressive rock. Yeah, and it was kind of a parody of concept albums. Right. Because the Aqualung uh, was considered a concept album by journalists. So Ian Anderson uh, like was laughing about that you know, when, uh, when, uh, when he read about it. So he uh, decided to kind of give them a real concept album. There. And then he did Passion Play, which was another conceptual that's right effort <laughs> big time my man but so, you, and hey, just, tell, tell me about your first Jet Rotala albums what, what was the what was the thing see. that inspired you so is I know, it a likely one or it's like something like Aqualong or, I mean the first physical Aqualong. one I had in my collection was a used copy of Aqualong from a friend's attic a friend that I would always get he, his cousin left him stuff Mm -hmm. So I would always raid it for records and go, oh, I need to check this. I'll let you know if there's any scratches. <laughs> and so it was Aqualung just by default. But oh, then, great, uh, but, but Aqualung, that means a great album to walk into. But then my purchase uh, history after that would be Thick as a Brick. Because mm -hmm. you were like, wow, wow. Chrysalis, on Chrysalis I mean, I Records. You, you're really, in the vinyl, you're you like, nailed it there. With right? It. You kill it. And <laughs> so then you become a lifelong fan with it. <laughs> and, then, and then you kind of start digging around. But I think uh, my next one, there was Stormwatch on That's, sale for three ninety nine. For me, Stormwatch was, and it still is. It's one of my like, favorites. Like their masterpiece for me because it really hit me at the, at the right time. And I think I got maybe I was, I don't know, like 13 years old or something yeah. like that. And uh, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I enjoy every single moment on that album. I mean, there are pieces like very unlikely one to appear called Elegy. Yeah, it was and composed they, by David Palmer. Gonna by make you now Deep Palmer. And they played that and, stuff uh, live. Yeah. In 2019. And when they played, uh, oh yeah, yes, yes, they, they we did. But and the thing is, when they toured that album, like later on, many years after, I would get. Uh, this bootleg version of uh, Madison Square Garden performance. I think yeah. it was probably released officially later, but they played the album song by song. I mean, I'm, I'm almost the entire album. My brother saw, six, seven songs saw the tour with UK opening up. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. So, so that was... We're that talking show. about... A, this I mean, is actual show. Yeah. That, that and he, he told... Like, my brother told me uh -huh. something interesting about that night. Now, think about it. That's where he saw Eddie Jobson and probably Ian uh -huh. Anderson made a note. I mean, they were touring no, together. The, uh, no, no. Did he see with uh, Eddie Jobson? Or yeah. he, UK had Eddie Jobson. Had Eddie Jobson. With Wenton and uh -huh, Terry Bozio. Yes, yes. uh -huh, yeah. My brother said Good at the end of the night, 
when Jethro Tull finished that night, some woman threw up a bouquet of roses, mm -hmm. and as Ian Anderson caught them, the thorn went to his eye. Oh, wow. And he got, you know, was bleeding, and ambulances came driving in like crazy into the Nassau Coliseum. But, I mean... My brother told me on the like night, so, I, oh yeah, man, maybe they put it, was, there too. it was a storm yeah. marshal, so it was like saying, "Hey, listen, you know, to see UK open up for Tully, he's like, that's quite a night, quite an ending too." And then, and then he picked up. So then I, I did get the album with Eddie Jobson, the A album. Yeah, well, uh -huh. People get very technical about Tully because they say, "Listen, you know, this is this is it's a different band, you know. Yeah, it's really, I, I, and I it's like fun. It too. It's 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 a good album. I, I I didn't like it initially because it was uh, album that was back to back to Stone Roger that I loved." That many people don't like, you know. Like, yep. But uh, but a, I don't know. These are not resonated with me straight away. But then it really grew on me. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very unique album. It's kind of then you have broadsword broadsword. Each one of these albums it was kind of like very different band kind of. Broadsword and the Beast got a lot of promotion because oh. Tull had stopped making albums for about two years, three years. So when they came out with broadsword radio and hey, you know Jethro Tull touring. But when you listen to it, it's got a different flavor to it because uh, Peter John Batiste's keyboards uh -huh, yeah. and the way uh, the drums, Dave Pegg and the bass and all that mm -hmm. stuff, it's just not the same animal. But I didn't care because mm -hmm. of my age at the time and the way I received mm -hmm. the music. I was like, who cares? It's new tall. <laughs> and so then when they made the Under Wraps album after that, I was very yeah, receptive saw, to it tour, because I, and I saw the tour and I loved the tour and it was great. But I think what it was receptive was just the fact that you were seeing Tull, you know, do Tull music. Now, funny thing happens with eight after that, then they made the uh, Crest and the Nave album. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that, and that, it, that, that's when they became, uh, or, or maybe that was the next album, the best Heavy metal, no, it's they Grammy, did win. Grammy yeah, award. the Grammy yeah. came, and then came so the fun. box set, that, and that's the best. That, and that then, kind of uh, covers. Uh, we yeah. covered that in a topic about uh, right, and then things not to follow. And then, and then, then Toll after that became a, a legacy act of oh look, here's the acoustic thing, here's the this, yeah. and they crept forward uh, uh, doing like that roots to branches that was in yeah. the nineties. I like. I, like I saw the. I, I liked it more than. Uh, than late eighties. I saw sorry. it in in in, in um, sorry. I saw it in. Um, the acoustic thing I saw in 1993 mm -hmm. at Jones Beach, and it was raining, and I'm like, oh, with yeah, binoculars, my bro, uh -huh. watching it, when, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh look, it's raining. Music came out. Yeah, uh -huh. I'm like sitting there going, oh wow, look, there's Jethro Tull in the rain, and look, I have like a cover over my head, like you know, it wasn't an ideal way to see them at that time, but you know, 2019 seeing Jethro Tull was more a visual experience because you didn't have the core band, and you had all sorts of. Um, just just uh, challenges in the vocals that, you know, you would notice that you'd say, okay, and, and you, there's a lot more instrumental mm -hmm. toll play that night. Mm -hmm. But then when you, with age, after you've exposed yourself uh, well, to... But by the way, I'm sorry, while you were talking about that, at, on the same year, I think we both saw uh, Martin Barr and his... Jethro I Tull. didn't see him, but I saw oh, the live I, feed. I, I saw it and it was amazing. It was great. So you were was right, like though. within a few months I think and you saw the Martin Barr Tull yeah, concert with uh, Clive Bunker and Clive Bunker and that was that would have been and the best then, way to see them oh the, the, because the, the, I watched the, the live feed and there's a live album uh -huh. from that and it's a far better and, and no insult to our good friend Ian Anderson but the Martin Barr show was much more deep comprehensive uh, authentic playing and you felt like you were getting a lot out of it just the way it was presented the vocalist uh, situation for Martin Barr 
let's be nice and say it was more functionally better than the Jethro Tull show. And, and, and yet one had a lot of lights and visuals and one didn't. The Martin Bar straight up playing was better. Yeah, I saw them at Iridium Club. So it was like basic club gig. But, I, but, the but thing it, uh, yeah, it was organic. It was good. Yeah, but the way the industry framed Tull in the 80s, like when they said, okay, because I used to look in the bins and then I said I got, I got so much. Heavy Horses was always there. A lot oh, of I copies. That. That's like my, my top. I, actually, I, if I would think about my favorite... Uh, I love that song. That, that era. But they got to stop listening to, I don't say critics and radio people, because when I see it in the cutout bins, you just ask someone who you think is knowledgeable at a store, and you go, hey, how come there's that? And then you'll get some guy to go, oh, it's not as good as like the other time. I go, what No, really, that, that was in a science department. I look at a guy and go, what do you mean? Well, it's just not. So that's another moron who probably just smoked his brains out and then said, oh, you know, it's not Aqualung. Yeah, no shit. So... Why, why, why are you going to degrade? So all of a sudden, when you go back and you listen to Heavy Horses and Songs from the Wood, Songs from the Wood, and then like Stonewatch, you get, you like really get a unique. It's a unique, right? You get a. The thing is, I understand someone not jiving yeah. with the right. It's so authentically um, in the great. Like um, you just have to listen to Heavy Horses, people, because it's one of those albums that grows on you. Oh, really heavy, like literal, like really heavy, and you go. Wow, I want to hear that again. It's so real. It's so, but this, the way he does the songs, there's a lot of folk. I would say those three yeah. albums are very folk. But he has a way of going, oh, by the way, this isn't the boring folk. But, but there, it, there's lots of like shade and color there. I mean, yeah. there's, there's lots of rock and roll energy as well. You know? So I, it's like, there's, it, there's a heaviness. And then, kind of, it, I would call it heavy British folk. I, heavy so British like, rock, but without having to be metal. Rock. And then if you, go, if you get an album like War Child... He'd introduce little yeah, elements of I jazz think, yeah, I think and he, saxophone. Yeah, I mean, if I would think about their career, you know, I mean, you have This Was as the first album. Yep. And then you have, uh, I think, Benefit and Stand Up can be in the same kind of zone. Yeah. Like same kind of uh, Agreed. band. Amazing albums. For me, these are these are Really good. That, uh, I listened to Benefit recently and, and it was wonderful. It, it really is. I think he, and then he had, uh, I mean, they're living in a past that was kind of a collection of the right. songs, but it was released as an album. And then uh, you had Aqualung, which, which kind of stands on its own, in a way. And then you had kind of answer to that in uh, Thick as a Brick and Passion Play. Right. So it's kind of, th that will be in one uh, one package. And then you had War Child, I yeah. would say Minstra in the gallery, and yep. uh, even uh, to, to, old, to Rock and Roll, I would, well, put them, I would put them in one, in one kind of... It was uh, a period, and... I think and, that yeah, uh, and then you have this fall period that, that uh, we, we talked about. Yeah, I think really with Jethro Tull, it's all period. So so I mean he was he was experimenting. He was going through the phases, and he uh, he kind of kept them in uh, two to three album packages, you know. He, and he did it well, and he kept I think he still does it. He, he still does it. I mean, in, in a way. It, but people like that. Then uh, he did his solo albums in yeah. the 90s, and he had, the, yeah, it was more of that kind of exploration. And he kind of reinvented his way of playing back then. So his career is really yeah. interesting to watch. And then in the last 10 years, he started doing these like box sets and kind of trying to use whatever is left of the industry there, but with the good products, I guess. Yeah, no objection. And, uh, and he have the, has this uh, Steven Wilson remasters, which are great, by the way. Great. I mean, talking about like, Really technical good. side and uh, marrying technical and artistic 
I think that's a great example. I mean, all of these remasters are amazing. It's like, he's, he's, it really uh, grew my respect for him he's, so but, much. But he's like, if someone said Tull is an acquired taste, I'd say that's fine. I go take the time to acquire it then. Do you know what I mean? It's not when they go, oh yeah, that sounds to this. Yeah, I know. You see some guy who pretends he's yeah, from the Middle I, Ages. I, I think. Listen yeah, to it. Yeah. I think if you uh, if you love his voice and yeah. his expression, I mean, from any era, you will love the band. If you don't like like his voice, you won't like it. And I and I love his voice. His repeti his repetition of some albums could stuff. really fix you. If you yeah. listen to, think about it. If you were locked in a room and you listen to. I mean, it could say Aqualung, but let's say let's say Heavy Horses, and you listen to it a few times, you're like cleaning out, like it'll grow on you. Oh man! Like you, you can you can Absolutely. try to push it away because it, because it's you think you're, you're looking for Aerosmith riffs. Or something. I mean, you listen to the Beatles, you know. I mean, you listen to the Beatles that is very well branded and it's yeah. authority on everything. Oh, the Beatles, this and that. I mean, same thing. If you listen to Jethro Tao. It will grow on you. These are great songs. As great as, you know, it's earthy and it's Beatles stuff. It's, it's, it's so, it's worth listening to, but when people bypass Tull or say, I'm not into that, another, it's like, you do, you kind of look down going, oh, I see, you're one of those, you, you just can't, you just can't evil, do it. Evildoers. Yeah. Evil what, like, what do you, what, why wouldn't you give him <laughs> you a shot? You don't like Tull? Yeah. No, you what the hell's wrong with you? His, but you know, like he made his first solo album, Walking Into the Light, in the 80s, and it was actually yeah, I, really good. I, I have it on vinyl here. But, you know, I, I can't say that I really enjoyed it. I, I respect it. The I mean, it was something, but I liked it more than Under Wraps for me. Right. Because you, you, you had John, Peter yeah. John Matisse was involved in both. Mm -hmm. And then in the, in the about 20, over 20 years, he made The Secret Language of Birds. That yeah. was actually a good nice, album. Nice album, yeah. Really he, nice he album. The Rupees Dance, and then there was. There was something else like Homo, right? What uh, the heck? Erectus or something like that. Right, and it but was. But that was around the same time that he did uh, Thick as a Brick too, which which was I think Ian Anderson album or just. It was an Ian what, Anderson what was album. I, it in, doesn't in really disguise make a of, now, yeah. In disguise of. Uh, I, I I don't even know what was the. Homo Eraticus came, oh. actually after Thick as a Brick too. So Thick as a Brick 2 came out in 2012. Homo Eraticus came out in 2014. But, you know, the Homo Eraticus album is different. It kind of goes, hey, look, don't take your... Look look at the Thick as a Brick 2 just to get you interested again in, you know, something. And then, oh, look. And then the... So I was fine with both of those albums. But the Thick as a Brick 2, I think it got judged harshly. I will judge him harshly for not releasing it as a Jethro Tull album. I'm just saying, as far as branding and name, if you're going to cut Martin Barr out of the picture as your legacy guitar player, who strongly did Thick as a Brick with you and played all those complicated parts, to say, hey, I'm going to revisit that as a solo artist, yeah, I, I, I found I that know, to be I, a I hard tried, cut. Yeah, I tried to kind of avoid some parts of my, of my favorite musicians careers you know that they're not like and i know that their split wasn't like the happiest so i i uh, and they have yeah Martin different Martin. versions of it different versions so of what like that kind is of like i i try to avoid it kind of but i yeah i don't know and probably are they also uh, members of a very prestigious uh, uh institution rock and roll hall of fame are they members or are they not good question i don't um, know i don't know i don't know if they are they, they should really mention it everywhere
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to go with, I don't, can we just go with, I don't think so? Because, I mean, I just don't, it's not ringing out to me like, oh, wow, I remember that. If Somebody not, would then, that. then my prophecy is uh, 2024. Yeah. But ben, but the fact that, let, okay, so let's just easily say they're not, right? Them not being in the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So what is Aqualung worth? What is one of the strongest riffs in musical history worth? Like, like okay, don't put them in. Who are you putting in instead, right? <laughs> Give me a, like Iron Maiden's version of Cross-Eyed Mary. Oh, I love it. It's but like it was released as a single during like the thing is great is the Tull like version kicks ass. I love it. And the Iron it's Maiden great. version kicks it's ass. It's and like, what it shows you is like Ian Anderson is great. It. And Steve Harris has said oh, the, yeah. the, 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 he goes, I don't want to meet him because I don't want to meet my idol. I don't want to be disappointed. And I think uh -huh. that's like, okay, that's Did fine. Did they meet at the end or I don't think so. No. He okay. said that it, it's interesting that he like says, you know, don't meet your idols because yeah, probably he, in that he thinks that much of them. Like you have many stories, so you kind of don't want to yeah. take it. Ian Anderson has nice things to say about Richie Blackmore's of the world and things like that. And, yeah, I think. And, and, and as Richard, far as it was Richie Blackmore's favorite band in the seventies, right? So he and would mention it everywhere, all every the time. Thing. And, and because respect, of that, a lot of respect, love for Renaissance music. I'm thinking stuff. a good look. A beer could be Richie Blackmore and Ian Anderson in a pub, but if no one gets together anymore. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't even think they met when they did. No, uh, but they could Blackmore's, get a beer. I mean, they did the Blackmore's Night uh, album where Ian Anderson was a guest, but right. I think he just came to the studio. I, I don't even. Think Might have been a file it. share. It was like, yeah, <laughs> but I think, like but I, I mean, mean it, he, Ian Anderson was talking about it, and not very respectfully uh, about Richard Blackmore, which ooh, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't uh, get. I remember Greg Lake but, uh, did a thing with Ian Anderson on Christmas uh -huh. in that church. Yeah, and by the way, oh, nice. ar around that time, Ian Anderson was doing these uh, kind of guest appearances. I think good Mandoki. management, <laughs> Mandoki, and uh, and uh, he was and Uriah Heep, Uriah Heep. He did uh, on that acoustically Get driven. Yeah. He's on that. Yeah, he he did acoustically driven. Uh, he played on uh, I think Blind Eye. What does he do? Sings or plays? No, flute? He, he plays flute. He plays kind of so flute inside so, your like right. a, a longer solo. Yeah, longer solo there. And yeah, Bernie couldn't step that, aside like, and go. I can't resist it. And, and then do you know who did uh, another one when uh, when they played in. Uh, the show that I saw in uh, New Jersey, in Trenton, New Jersey, in 2003, I think it's also on video. Uh, this one later, he did the flute on that one. Wow, so they, the, so they had some nice uh, connections there. Yeah, it's the good King. connections. Great. Yeah, Hocus heard, Pocus, yeah. I mean, that's essential. If you haven't heard Hocus Pocus, mm -hmm. by Focus, <laughs> listen to it right now. It's an essential listen for everybody. There's a resistance from people to listen to Let's say folk-oriented things. I mean, unless unless it's processed through a commercial lens today. I'm not saying you know. You see, you see a country person with an acoustic guitar or something like that. Jethro Tull reeks of old England, and maybe that's the anathema barrier for people. But I'd be like, you know what? But you're waiting for someone to recreate that in pop culture. You're looking for the next Ian Anderson to run around in tights, pretending he's from the Middle Ages. And if he sings something in a in a hip hop vibe or a pop vibe, you'll love him. He could say he's the new Renaissance man. So it is packaging in time, and I think it's okay to look back. But that, again, a product of, of this kind of rock music that's it's not jazz music, it's not um, it's not metal, 
right? It's, it's not pure progressive rock. Not according to Grammy Awards. That was such a small mess up. They won, they won against Metallica. Won against Metallica. Right. And Metallica uh, probably uh, like... Same probably so like, but it shows you, you know what... The, they're it, against each other. Right? If we're going to slam like the Grammys and the Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame, say it into this microphone, yeah. utter incompetence. You, I mean, no, no critical thinking, no, no, like common yeah, sense too. Like the decline, when, decline of rock and roll was. If you're gonna screw by, things up, get an acceptance of these institutions. Yeah, it, 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 it just makes like if you can't really categorize tall, like okay, fine, give them something. Whatever you're gonna give them though, put them in a heavy metal category means you have failed. Like you're, like, and the Metallica is sitting there going, "Wow, boy, did we screw up?" You know, it's like, it's like. But they didn't actually, right? So Tull just took what they could get, and 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 they. But, uh, I'm interested. Do, do these uh, any of these uh, metal bands or rock bands appear on these awards? Kind of like they go to a round table. I mean, they get invitations. Yeah, I, I'm sure. But do they go? Do their managers tell them, okay, go on, appear, and then they. Well, no, no, these days, yes. When rock and roll is dead now, everybody yeah. everybody does. But back then, like kind of like I don't know, Metallica in uh, in the eighties. These are guys in their you know musical prime and uh i could i, I wouldn't imagine that they would no appear i think look. and I, I think that maybe ian anderson did appear there or maybe so, no 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 he didn't no no somebody accepted for, for him okay and tony Iommi gave it to someone nice i, I, I just I know mean, that i forgot the facts about this historically but well the other person who really slammed <laughs> the rock and roll of no. fame while he was there was steve miller steve miller's like yeah oh. this sucks i'm paying nine grand for the table over there he he <laughs> but but he was there you know? he ripped it up man. Hey, but by the way but what also broke my heart mm -hmm. is really traumatized me that when i saw martin Barr, he was actually uh talking proudly about uh receiving a grammy award and sharing the, that joy with his family <laughs> remembering that event right. from many years ago. So these things tear my heart apart. I mean, this is all my identity when I was a kid. Yeah, well, all the I guys are... rock, and, rock and roll was something, but not rock and roll. Guys are tearing <laughs> each other apart now because it's look, just another pop music, you know. Yeah. So it's it's like it's like. But look at like right now, Roger Roger Daltrey says a lot of things about what he doesn't like about the business. What he doesn't like about about the records, artists the who says in Pete Townsend, he says he goes yeah me and Pete Townsend talk once a year now, you know Mick Jagger and and uh, Keith Richards say say oh well we're not friends we're brothers and you know brothers have things that, that's whatever at least they're out touring you know but to see Martin Barr and Ian Anderson go no there's nothing we can agree on no reason to work together, I mean I don't see what the big difficulty well, is I, I mean the thing is Ian Anderson is a boss of that company and Martin Barr was employed at that company for many years and uh, and Ian Anderson wanted to take a different direction and uh, you know even though they've been together for I don't know 40 something years he decided it's time to do the change and I think it was probably heartbreaking for Martin Barr I would just I would guess but uh, but yeah he started his new thing and I think it's it's actually Better for everybody, I think. His solo albums because are good. Martin Barr, for me, it's interesting now. It's good. Jethro Tull, maybe it's something. I mean, there are these re-releases that are really uh, interesting. I mean, Ian Anderson is busy all the time. I think he released a book or something like that yeah. as well. And Martin Barr <coughs> so did... Um, I think good things come from uh, Jethro Tull yeah. company. <laughs> Martin Barr uh, performed uh, Porcupine Tree Live. Uh -huh. song i found that interesting like you know so he's oh, connected uh, uh -huh. it's interesting he did that years back 
But all the side players were wonderful people and told. Oh, yeah, well, let's mention some of you. We haven't talked about in this video. Okay. I mean, uh, the, the drummer, uh, Barrymore Barlow. Barrymore Barlow. Amazing drummer. Played with Robert Plant. And played Mounstein, with Ingwe Mounstein. It's such a Unbelievable. <laughs> um, we know, Clive, Bun we know yeah. Clive Bunker. Clive, Clive Bunker, Bunker played on, I think, in Steve House for a solo album, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, I, I recently got this band called Aviator, and uh, Clive Bunker was there. Look at that. I, ne I never heard of that band in my life, but I was checking out uh, like record pin, and uh, somehow I looked back, I don't know why, and I said, Clive Bunker, oh, so I bought it. And then right. I discovered they have two albums, actually. I think and, it was like late uh, 70s or early 80s. And it's, I mean... I discovered it now as a 44-year-old person, so, you know, I listened to it one time, and a lot of the, listenable. You know? A lot of the players are passing on, or whatever, like Glenn Cornick died now. Mm -hmm. Whoever's listening, I know there's a friend of mine who was obsessed with this Glenn Cornick bass player mm -hmm. when I was in high school. Who's your name? He was great. He was a great player. Sad he's gone, and then you had uh, was it John Hammond? John Hammond, and, and, and I then, mean John Hammond. Actually, the band was a John Hammond's band before right. it became so it was John Hammond something band, and then it became Jazz Rotel, Ian Anderson. And then, so John Hammond was very important, and he was kind of going back yeah. and forth there until uh, John Watch album, and, and then John Glasscock, who yeah, played and bass, he, uh, and he he died out. during open heart surgery, I believe, and Ian Anderson yeah. played bass on the rest of that album. Yeah, including so the baseline on Something's on the Move. Thinking about it, talk about a leader where he's just like, you know what, I'll do it. Dave Pack was an important part of the, and their who, career. I mean, from the 79 to probably 2000 or something. Maybe 2002 or something. I mean, highly, and he was in Fairport con co Convention. That was his other band. I think even parallelly, I mean... He was, uh, he played with two bands. He would tour with uh, Jethro Tull and then he would tour with uh, Fairport Convention. I, I think something like that, but he was, he was kind of back and forth. Mark Crane, he was on drums well. He's yeah, dead. he passed away. And then it was not just Jerry Conway, but Don Perry. Don Perry he was with them for a long, a long time. time. Until and I saw him with him, yeah. I saw, I saw him probably like. Four times. Martin Alcock. Uh, by the way, Florian O'Fall in the... Yeah, he guitarist, did play yeah. really well. 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 Right, he played with Greg Lake, but when I saw Tull in 2019, he was the high point. He's yeah, a great player. I mean, he's, I mean, I hope he does his... Uh, now so I didn't. Stuff, maybe I, I'll check. I'll check out. I didn't know David O'List from the Nice was also in the earliest '68 Tull on guitar. Um, that I didn't know. You know, uh, Eddie Jobson being the guy okay. that we're, we're all throwing one about. Album. One album. Yeah, and we got Eddie Jobson of uh, not just uh, Roxy Music, yeah. UK, and Holdsworth, yeah. Right, and, and Frank Zappa. Yeah, Frank Zappa. And, uh, I mean, from being, it, it just, he was a great addition to that A sound, mm -hmm. and then he and then he was gone. Don Airy did a, did a brief stint. That was 1987 or 87, something like that. Yep. Oh, wow. So Don Airy was with Jethro Tull. Deep Purple, with Gillan, with Whitesnake, yeah. with Rainbow, with Colosseum, with, with uh, Ozzy, with Black Sabbath as like some backup. Mark, Mark that, Mondesir. That, that is amazing. Well, in, in Wikipedia, I think it's like, it, it's going to be endless. But when it gets yeah. like past 2000, I think, uh, you know. It mentions I Phil Collins in the 1982 drum slot. <clears throat> maybe he did I don't know, maybe a, some, a brief, a brief thing. Show. 
But the okay. uh, I think we mentioned like the ones I can mention off the top of my head like make John, the most John Hammond Hammond yes. double Hammond he was uh, he was uh, a painter I mean I think he became full time painter after his Jet Rotel albums but but he played on some uh, some very very amazing thing like he was in on Equilong as well anyway I would say. Um, for everybody who has not listened to Jethro Tull, go listen to Jethro yeah, Tull. It's essential. Remember, it's essential. Thing. Essential. And it's, if yeah. you had to pick one, thick as a brick, I'm handing it to you. Yeah. Thick as a brick. Heavy you don't horses, have to ask. Heavy horses. No. And then, and then, if you had and to go, and <laughs> yeah. And if you did, and if you did Aqualung, you wouldn't be doing any disservice. So go listen to that. That'll help you, and then you'll like, you'll listen to more. Maybe. You'll be thankful. You'll be thankful to us, to your parents, to everybody. Everybody. And to Ian Anderson. Even well. to Jethro Tull, the original yeah. guy with the seed machine. Yes. Paying respect to technology that probably revolutionized Europe, from what I understand, um, was why people were less hungry, thanks to Jethro Tull. Not Ian Anderson for the machine, but to Jethro Tull. Uh, we're going to leave it here for now. Until next time, you can catch the roundabout. Catch the roundabout.